Hey, I hope that that, I hope that that song and the message in that song spoke to you. I hope that it speaks to you that when you're going through difficult circumstances in your life, usually that are way out of your control, sometimes because... Sometimes they're brought about because of maybe poor decisions that you've made. Sometimes it's stuff that you had nothing to do with. Man, we can learn to praise God in those storms. And I think that that's kind of what James is telling us in this message today. Um, so I, I was kind of cruising around the Internet, and, and I want to tell you a story that I read on the Internet. And I assume it's true because I read it on the Internet. Um, <laughs> Although I did read a quote, this isn't the story, but I also read a quote on the internet. It was from Abraham Lincoln, and, and he, he once said, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. So <laughs> I think that was Abraham Lincoln. And so, um, so here's the story. It, you know, whether it's true or not, it's funny. So there was this man that was working on his motorcycle, and he was out on his patio, and uh, his wife was in the kitchen, which was really close by. And so he's racing the engine, and he's on the patio right there. He's racing the engine, and then all of a sudden the motorcycle accidentally slips into gear, and the man still holding onto the handlebars was dragged along as it burst through the glass patio doors and came to a crashing stop. His wife heard all this crash. She ran into the room and she found that her husband was laying there in, in this puddle of glass and he was just cut and bleeding, the motorcycle and the shattered patio door. So she called for an ambulance and because the house sat fairly you know, high up on a large hill, she went down to the bottom of the hill, which was several flights of stairs to meet the paramedics and then escort them to where her husband was. And so while the attendants were there and they were loading her, hus- they were, they were loading her husband onto one of those stretchers, the wife managed to get the motorcycle up and to push it back out onto the patio. She also quietly and quickly blotted up all of the spilled gasoline that was, that was on the patio and in the house with some paper towels. And then she tossed them into the toilet. So after being treated, this man of all of his cuts and everything, and then being released, the man returned home. He looked at the shattered patio door and the damage that had been done to his motorcycle and to his house, and he just didn't know what else to do. So, you know, he needed a few minutes alone. So he went into the bathroom, and to console himself with a cigarette, he sat down and began to smoke. And uh, about the time that he was going to stand up, he flipped the cigarette butt into the toilet. So the wife who was in the kitchen heard this loud explosion and her husband screaming, and she found him, you know, once again um, in need of assistance. And so she once again phoned for the ambulance. The same paramedic crew was dispatched, and they came. The paramedics carried the man, began to carry the man down the stairs on the ambulance, and they asked the wife, how did he come to burn himself so badly? And so she told them the whole story, and they started laughing so hard that one of them slipped, lost control of the stretcher. The man fell down the remaining steps and broke several bones. Hey, do you ever... um, do you ever like to compare your circumstances to someone else's who is having an even worse day so that you feel better about yourself? I don't know, I don't know what it is about human nature, but sometimes other people's misfortune can make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. So as we, uh, as we review here, and, and before, we, before we review, there's a picture. Someone sent me a note this week with this picture on it, and I'll just show you the picture. And... and um, <laughs> I don't know if you can make it out, but it looks like an older woman in a golf cart. And uh, I'm not going to tell you who sent that, but it was, it was a very nice note. And uh, if you weren't here last week, you can listen to it on the internet. 
Um, but there's a story that, that, okay, so anyhow, thank you for that note. Really appreciate it, that picture. It floods back all kinds of memories. Um, so as we review a little bit about this series that we're in, we're in week two of this series of James. So who is this letter written to? To Christians, and specifically Christians that were being persecuted, they were scattering. Let's just say they were having a really bad day. Who's this letter that we call James written from? James, the brother of Jesus. And, uh, and so kind of what, what's the purpose or the theme of this letter? This is a little bit harder question. Does anybody remember what's kind of the theme or the, or the purpose of this letter as we defined it last week? I'll help you out with this one. This is a tougher one. Sort of a, I, we called it a self-evaluation. So, so he kind of walks us through this letter. Some people say it's kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's all just bits of wisdom that are kind of disconnected, but they're really, you know, really great advice. You know, if that were true, that would be fine. I mean, Proverbs is a great book of wisdom, but it's not true. And there's lots of, of relationship between these very wise statements that James makes throughout this letter. But I believe that it gives us an opportunity to evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves this question, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Do I look a little bit more like Jesus today than I did a year ago or than I did five years ago? Am I growing closer and closer in my walk to Jesus? And so there was an application that we ended with last week, and we're going to begin with this week, and it's the first statement in your notes, and it is this application. God's expectation for me is progress, not perfection. So write that in your notes. You're going to hear it every week that we are in this series. God's expectation of me, as I go through this self-evaluation, this letter penned by the hand, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but penned by the hand of the very brother of Jesus who became a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ and accepted Jesus as the Messiah after he witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And we're reading this letter. We get right in the face of the reality of how much we are not like Jesus. We learn that God's expectation for me is progress and not perfection. So here is James writing this letter to some people that are not really just having a bad day. They're having a bad season of life. They're being persecuted. They have been chased out of their, out of their, their homes. They've been chased away from their businesses. Who knows what they had to leave behind and they could just run away with, with whatever they could carry on their backs. They're being persecuted. They are being arrested. If they wouldn't recant their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior, some of them were being beaten and thrown into jail and even killed as Stephen the first martyr was killed. And so these guys are having a bad season of life. And here is the meat of this beginning of, of the, the letter after the greeting that we looked at last week. James chapter 1 and verse 2. And I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and to follow along. These are not my words. These are not my ideas. But this is God's holy scripture. I want to encourage you to do this. So I'm going to read the passage that we're going to look at today. And then if you want to keep it open in your laps, I'm going to continue to refer back. The, the scripture is on the screen, but when I start referring back to it, it won't be. So you might want to keep it open in your lap, okay? James chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 2 through 18. James says this to people. People who are being persecuted, who have been chased out of their homes, chased out of their own countries. James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who seeks, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Believers that are in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation because they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and it withers the plants. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. But blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good And perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. I want you to think for just a minute of of your your closest circle of friends, okay? The people that you spend the most time with or the people that you go to for advice, the people that you, when you're having a bad day, these are the people that you call. I want you to think of that circle of friends, not people that are online. I'm not talking about online friends. I'm talking about flesh and blood, okay? You actually know what they look like and stuff like that, okay? So people that you spend time with, and I want you to picture their faces, okay? Just two or three, four people and picture their faces. And I'm going to ask you some questions about your friends. Who is most prone to just tell you what you want to hear? You're having a bad day. There's some confrontation going on. There's some conflict in your life. And we have some friends, man, they'll just tell you whatever they want to hear, whatever you want to hear, right? I just want you to feel better. So I'm going to tell you whatever you want to hear. We've got friends like that. Who will talk, to, who will talk you into feeling better even when you shouldn't feel better? Do you have friends like that? You have friends that will help you, talk you into feeling better. Oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be better. You know what? It might not. This might be the better, and it might get worse tomorrow. But we've got friends that will just try to talk us into feeling better, even sometimes when we shouldn't feel better. And does anybody have a friend that is just a dependable liar? Do you have one of those? Uh, You know, you don't really trust anything that they say, but you know that they're just going to kind of you know, they're just going to kind of say whatever they need to say to get through the situation there. And, and uh, if you tell them something, you know, whether it's truth or not, they'll be quick to repeat that and they'll just kind of side with you. We have friends like that. Now, I want you to think of a friend, and I hope that you have this friend in your life. I want you to think of the friend who seems to lack the social skills to beat around the bush. Do you have a friend like that? The one who blurts out what you need to hear, even if you've got your fingers in both ears. I want you to think of the friend that you tend to avoid when you're not feeling up to the truth. Do you have a friend like that? Well, for today, I want you to close your eyes and and picture this person, and we're going to call him James. Because this is James. James is is getting right in your grill today, and he's telling you some stuff that you might not want to hear. He's telling you some stuff that might not necessarily make you feel better, you know, in the day-to-day, but when we look at the bigger picture of eternity, we certainly will. 
One author said this, James writes as if he's afraid of running out of ink. He just gets right to the stuff. There's not a bunch of fluff here in the beginning. There was one verse of greeting and introduction that we looked at last week, and then he gets right into the meat. So verse 2, as we kind of walk our way through this, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. These are people that have been chased out of their homes. They've been threatened with their very lives. And he says, Consider it joy. Consider it pure joy. Now, the natural human response is not to rejoice. We have to make a conscious decision to face our trials with joy. That is something that you have to do ahead of time. You don't necessarily wait till you're in the situation, you're in the circumstances, and then be like, oh, that's right, I'm supposed to have an attitude of joy. It's something that you have to make a decision now. When I face these things in the future, I'm going to face them in a way that honors God. And I'm going to cherish the benefit of the trials that come my way. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So here's a statement that's in your notes, and and you can write this down. Not if trials come, but when they come, count them as joy because God is good. James doesn't say, hey, if trials come your way. No. He says, when they come, count them as pure joy. Now, trials could be called tests. They could be called troubles. We're kind of using this metaphor this morning of a storm. Sometimes we find ourselves in, in the middle of a storm in our day-to-day lives and the circumstances that are just seem out of control. Technically, here's the definition. A trial or a storm is something that breaks the pattern for peace, comfort, joy, and happiness in someone's life. That's what a trial is. It's breaking the peace. It's breaking the calm. It's breaking the comfort and the joy and the happiness that's in your life. And here's the reality. We all navigate through these storms, and sometimes we do it a lot better than other times. And he doesn't even say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, these trials that you're facing. He says, the many trials. Other other translations of God's Word say the various trials or the different trials. And so he's taking this really generic category and he's saying there are lots of different kinds of trials you can fit in here. And whatever that trial is, it fits into the category of many. And so whatever that trial is, you should be able to face it with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Yeah, but what about my marriage, man? You don't know what kind of struggles I'm going through. No, marriage, that fits into the category of many, right? But what about my kid? Man, my kid is a mess. You wouldn't believe what's going on with my kid right now. No, that fits into the category of many. What about my financial problems? What about my problems at work? What about the emotional problems that I have? All of these fit into the category of many or different or various trials, and we are to face all of them with a supernatural joy right up to persecution. And guys, you see the pictures on the news and on Facebook every time there's another beheading of someone because they call themselves Christians and they wouldn't recant. And maybe the next time that you hear one of those stories or you see one of those pictures, you'll think about the people that James wrote this letter to because that is exactly the kind of persecution that they were facing. And he's telling them, consider that joy. Consider it joy. Verses 3 and 4. Consider it joy because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So there's a verb form of this word trial, and it means to put someone or something to the test for the purpose of discovering that person's nature or that thing's quality. It's iron sharpening iron. 
to make it more useful. It's, it's gold being purified by fire so that it becomes more valuable. And every trial, every storm in our lives is designed to strengthen us. Write this in your notes. J.W. Roberts said, Things happen from without that test us within. Things happen in the circumstances of your day-to-day life to test not necessarily the things that are, that are on the outside of you, but to test the grit and, and the gut that's going on on the inside of you, to test your heart and your mind and where your allegiance really is. Mr. Roberts goes on to say, We cannot be prepared for the circumstances of every trial in our lives, but we can be prepared in attitude for whatever form our trial takes. We can't be prepared for every obstacle. We can't be prepared for every challenge or every crisis in our lives. But we can be prepared with the attitude through which we'll be able to to see through that storm. So how can I hold fast? How can I have a type of joy that transcends even the most horrific circumstances in my life? So there are two rightly ways that we can think about trials. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then after points one and two, we're going to shift gears for points three and four. But there are a couple of ways that we can rightly think about the trials in our lives. And number one in your notes is this. My trials are a pathway to maturity. My trials are a pathway to maturity. Let me ask you this, guys. How do you grow physically? How do you grow physically stronger? Or even intellectually stronger? How do we do this? What do you do? Do you just sit on a couch and you grow stronger? Yeah, you have to be interactive. You have to throw some weights around, do some cardio. You have to struggle a little bit. Babies learning to walk, they strain and they struggle and they fall down and they get back up. And if this is how we grow physically through struggles and even pain and even falling down once in a while, if this is how we grow physically and even intellectually, I would say, why do we think it would be any different to grow spiritually? We're going to grow spiritually as we stumble and as we fall and as we get back up and we continue to struggle along. So write this in your notes. Testing leads to perseverance. Testing leads to perseverance. Just yesterday, last night, we were, uh, we were hanging out in the pool. We, we just got this little pool in our backyard. And, and so we're kind of splashing around there. Celine's goofing off. And we're like playing volleyball and throwing stuff at each other. And, and we're doing all this goofy stuff. And, and she, she never swam until we moved into this house. And now she's got the courage to swim underwater and not hold her nose and open her eyes. And she's actually swimming back and forth, a little modified doggy style, you know. And she's doing all of that. And it's kind of cool to watch her do this. But, but you know, I realized, you know, I'm about done. You know, I'm getting tired. I'm about ready to get out. And, uh, and, I, and I realized she hasn't really swam today. She's just been splashing around. And so I said, why don't you swim a couple of laps? And so she's like, okay. And, and again, it's not a big pool, but she, she jumps in and she starts to swim. She gets about halfway and she slows down. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, I'm tired. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're tired because you've been goofing off instead of swimming laps. Do you want me to tell you how you can not get tired swimming laps? Do you want me to tell you? She's like, yeah. How can I do this without getting tired? And I said, swim laps. You want to swim laps without getting so tired? You do that by swimming laps. And you get stronger. And you get better. And you get more prepared for what's ahead of you. And that's the way that our testing leads to perseverance. But also write this in your notes. Perseverance leads to completeness. Perseverance leads to completeness. 
This is also translated as perfection. Now, this is not a sinless perfection. It's talking about spiritual maturity. The struggle shows us what's important. You ever go through a struggle and you realize what's really important in life? You realize who your real friends are? You realize, you realize like, really what people think about you when they begin to come or send cards or, or just sit down and say, man, I want you to know how much you've meant to me. I mean, sometimes when we go through a struggle, it really teaches us what is important and what is not so important. If you had to pack up everything and run away because you were being persecuted, you would, you would figure out what in your home is important and what's not important, right? You, what can I carry? What can I carry? That's what's important. If I can't carry it, it's not that important. Perseverance leads to completeness, to spiritual maturity. And the struggle shows us what is important and what's not important. And as we make it through the storm, that leads me to maturity, where I'm being strengthened and I'm becoming the complete and the mature person that God has created me to be. Number two in your notes, my trials also make me aware of my need for God. My trials also make me aware of my need for God. God intends that my trials will drive me to a greater sense of my own inadequacy and my great need for Him. Oh, God, I can't make it through this. He says, you're not supposed to make it through it on your own. You're supposed to make it through this in my strength. Write this in your notes. When things are going well, my heart and mind may drift from God. When things are going well... Man, I'm just coasting. I'm just, I'm just feeling good. I'm just enjoying the good life. Write this in your notes. When things aren't going well, I am reminded to seek God's wisdom. When things are going well, God may be the furthest thought in my head. When things aren't going well, I fall on my knees and begin to pray. And I begin to seek godly wisdom and how to handle a circumstance or a situation. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If you recognize that you are not in this place of spiritual maturity where you can have joy and peace in the middle of your storm, then ask God for that wisdom. Ask Him to help you to come to that understanding, help you come to that level of maturity where you can honor Him with the way that you respond to the circumstances in your life. Wisdom will lead me to understand. To understand this, if I have Christ and I lose everything else, I have everything. If I have everything else but I don't have Christ, I have lost everything. Hey, let me ask you guys... um, Anybody ever been in a fight? I mean, like a real fist fight. Like you're just throwing hands. You ever, anybody ever been in a fight? Raise your hand. We're not doing church discipline this morning. <laughs> just raise your hand. Okay, there's a couple of hands here. I knew, see now, I knew you. A couple of you surprised me. Um, here's something that uh, I remember from, I mean, something that I read on the internet. Um, if you know that you're going to be in a fight you know that you're going to be in a fight, you have a better chance of winning that fight. They're just some, I mean, you're not surprised by it, but you know a fight's coming, you have a better chance of winning that fight. And there's some things that change, like, you know, your posture changes, you know, your stance is a little bit different, you're kind of getting stable, your adrenaline begins to build up, and you become really sensitive, you become really tuned in to what's going on around you. This was kind of like Janine when we were in the line to go see the penguins, and there was this family that started to pass us, she got that stance, and she was really, I'm sorry. 
don't pass me. We've been in this line for 45 minutes to see the penguins. So if you know that a fight is coming, friends, if you know that a fight is coming, you have a better chance of winning that fight. And I just want to tell you, there are two fights that are coming. And, and you need to know this, that, that as you face these trials and as you, as you are on this pathway to maturity and as, as these trials help you to recognize your, your deep need for God in your life, there are a couple of attacks that are going to come from Satan. And they're going to come as an all-out fight. And here it is. Verses 6 and 8. When you ask... You must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Number three in your notes, my trials will bring me face-to-face with doubt. That's the first fight. You have to fight doubt. And when you go through these trials, you're going to be hit right in the face with that. There's a beautiful story from the the ministry of Jesus. There's this man that's very troubled because his son, and I don't know how old his son was. I I don't think he was, you know, a a child, but this man whose son was demon-possessed, and he brings him to Jesus, and and he asks Jesus to heal his son. And then in Mark 9, beginning in verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, he said, how long has he been like this? And he says, from childhood. It is often, talking about the demon, it is often thrown him into the fire, into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and, and help us. And Jesus interrupts him right there. And he says, if you can. The guy says, oh, if you can help us, we'd really appreciate it. If you can do anything. And Jesus is like, you're, you're talking to the creator of the universe. You're talking to the one who, who breathed life into every human being. You're talking to the author of life and the one who will defeat death once and for all. And you say, you say, if, if you can do anything, if you can help. And, and, and Jesus goes on to say, everything is possible for one who believes. And then immediately this boy's father exclaimed this, this beautiful phrase. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He was, he was getting hit in the face with doubt during probably you know, what may have been the, the biggest struggle, the biggest trial that he'd ever been through because he loves his son so much and he sees his son being tormented by, by this demon and this demon's not only tormenting him but trying to kill him. And, and so he says, Jesus, you know, if you can help us. And he says, I do believe, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And then Jesus cast the spirit out and he healed the boy. And I want you to write this in your note, that phrase, I believe but help my unbelief. I do believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I I believe that you are good. I believe that you are God. I believe that you are in control. I believe that that you can handle this circumstance that I'm in. But help me, because there's still a part of me that's really struggling to, to just trust you with this. So I do believe. Oh, Lord, but help... Help me believe better. Help me believe more. Help me believe in a more mature way. Help, help that, that little part of me that struggles with unbelief. Write this statement in your notes. Faith receives more than it asks. Doubt loses more than it disbelieves. James said a double-minded, unstable, doubting person, they shouldn't expect anything. 
He's not just talking about somebody that's, that's, that's not very decisive, but he's talking about a moral conflict or a distrust in God. Double-minded literally means this, having one's heart and mind divided between God and the world. And he says, if that's where you're living, if that's where you're struggling, don't even bother. You got to take care of that before you come to God asking him for help in your situations. This is the hypocrite who plays Christian but fails to trust God when things get difficult or uncomfortable. And I want you to know that God, God honors a confident trust in him. So we have these trials and these tests and these storms that make their way into our lives and they become a pathway to maturity and they remind us of our great need for God. And in the middle of them, we are getting hit with doubt and so we fight that doubt. And then in verses 9 through 11, James says this, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like wildflower. For the sun rises in scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms, fail, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Number four in your notes, my trials will bring me face to face with comparisons. My trials will bring me face to face with comparisons. This is the second fight. And this is in direct contrast to the doubter, double-minded person that James was just talking about. He's saying, listen, if you're poor, don't be depressed during this trial of poverty, but trust God. And if you're rich, don't be prideful in your wealth. It ain't going to last. Trust God. There was a recent study done about Facebook and Instagram, about social media, basically. And, and here's, what, here's what this study said. Social media is leading to depression. How can that be? It helps me stay so connected. I've got 347 friends. How can this lead to depression? But here's the picture. You're home alone. You just ate an entire huge box of Captain Crunch all by yourself. You just watched an entire season of Friends on, on Netflix, okay? And then you go to bed, and you're all by yourself, and you're laying there, and you can't sleep, and you're tossing, and you're turning, and you're feeling sorry for yourself, so you grab your phone, and you begin to surf through social media. You're, you're flipping through Facebook or Instagram or something, and you're flipping through there, and here's what you see. All of your friends have perfect lives. They're all going on these really expensive vacations. They all got a new car. Every one of their kids just got a scholarship to the college of his choice. They're all getting raises at work. Everything's great. And through all of this, they're quoting scriptures left and right, aren't they? They're just posting scriptures and a little a kitten with a passage under. I mean, they're just, their lives are so perfect. Meanwhile, you haven't even gotten out of your pajamas or left the house in the last three days. And you're sitting there, and what we end up doing is we compare our worst to everybody else's best. Friends, that's not healthy. We compare our worst to everybody else's best. And James is saying, don't believe the hype. Everybody has a bad day. Everybody goes through seasons of trials. We just don't post it. We just don't brag about it. Have you ever seen somebody post a picture that says, wow, you wouldn't believe the zit that I woke up with this morning with a big zoomed-in picture of it? Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever, anybody ever post a story about how they really screwed up at work and lost their job and it was all their fault? No, 
But it happens. We just, everybody goes through these struggles. We just don't all talk about it. Anybody ever post a little picture of their kid sitting there in the indoor playground at McDonald's and the caption says, this is all the vacation we can afford this year. Sure hope my kid enjoys it. We're coming back again tomorrow. And the kid's like, we all go through these things. We just don't plaster the negative, the bad in front of everybody. But we, but we do the good. And it is so unhealthy for us to compare our worst to everybody else's best. And in your heart, this storm will rage. And it will show itself in the fight of comparisons. James says, don't believe it. Everybody goes through storms. And God is leading you to maturity. So here is some encouragement for you. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So as you grow to maturity, you begin to take responsibility for your own sin. Remember verses 13 through 15? When you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So when you're going through temptations, when you're going through struggles, don't blame anyone but but yourself. Don't blame God. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame your husband. Don't blame your kid. They just drive me crazy. No, when you're going through these things, just look at yourself and say, God, you know, what can I do? What What did Adam do in the garden? When he got caught with his sin, who did he blame? I'm going to say, okay, I'll give you half credit for that. He did say, but Lord, it was that woman that that you gave me. He blamed God for his sin in the garden. Yeah, it wasn't me. It was that woman. Come to think of it, I just woke up one day married. It was kind of your fault. I didn't ask for this, right? (laughs) And he blamed God. And friends, here's what's at stake. Here's what's at stake. Passing the test leads to maturity. Failing the test leads to sin and death. And as James hits us with this, then he turns our eyes to God, verses 16 through 18. This is the end of this passage. He says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. He reminds us of these important truths. He says, everything good comes from God, okay? Everything that you have, every good gift comes from God. God loves you. God will not stop loving you. He does not change. He could not love you more. You can't mess up bad enough to cause him to love you any less than he does right now, no matter what. And then he says, and God chooses you. And some of us compare our, ourselves to other people and we think, God must be so disgusted with me. How could he love me right now? And it doesn't make any sense. But let me tell you that any disgust that God had for your sin, he poured out on Jesus Christ as he hung on that cross. And he died so that you could be free from that guilt and free from that shame. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So write this in your notes. The greatest anchor for your soul is knowledge of the goodness and the grace of God. 
the greatest anchor. If you need an anchor to hold you firm during the worst storm of your life, let it begin with the knowledge of the goodness and the grace of God. One of the articles that I read this week talked about something called common grace. And, and I just want to mention this because it's something that we can take for granted so, so much. Everything comes from God. Everything is, a, is, is an example. Everything good in our lives is an example of God's mercy and God's grace, God's common grace. The common grace are the things that we can take for granted. For example, not everybody in this room is in great health right now. In fact, we had a, a, very, a very loved one come to church this morning, drive all the way here, and not feeling well enough that he didn't think he could make it through the service, and so he had to go home, okay? Not, not everybody in this room is in great, perfect health, but you're here. You were healthy enough to get up, to get dressed, with or without help. I don't know, it's none of my business, but you got here. And so you have been blessed with health, and we can take that for granted. After church, we're, we're going to eat something somewhere, Okay? We're going to eat a meal. I don't care how, I don't care how, uh, how simple this meal is. We're going to eat a meal that would be a feast reserved for holidays around most of the world. We're blessed. If you have some kind of shelter, some kind of roof over your head to protect you from the elements, you are blessed. If you have a relationship in your life with family or friends or a, or a church where you feel a connection... You are blessed in a way that many people around the world are not. And you have a hope for the future that goes beyond any present circumstances. You have a hope for eternity. So the greatest anchor for your soul is the knowledge of the goodness and the grace of God. And then write this in your notes as well. The greater your knowledge, the more likely you are to praise Him in the storm. The greater your knowledge, the more likely you are to praise Him in the storm. Not praise Him because of the storm, not say, thank you, God, for all the difficult things in my life. That's kind of silly. But you can say, thank you, God, for what you're teaching me. Thank you, God, that you promised to never leave me or forsake me no matter what I'm going through. Trust him. Be grateful. See your storm as an opportunity to grow stronger. See your storm as an opportunity to take one more little step toward Jesus, becoming a little bit more like him, being transformed a little bit more into his image. I had, I had made this note here at the end of my sermon, and then I heard it on the radio this morning, so I thought that was kind of cool. Max Licato is a Christian author, and he wrote in The Applause of Heaven, he wrote these words, As long as Jesus is one of many options, he is no option. As long as you can carry your burdens alone, you don't need a burden bearer. As long as your situation brings you no grief, you will receive no comfort. As long as you can take him or leave him, you might as well leave him because Jesus won't be taken half-heartedly. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. When you get to the point of sorrow for your sins, when you can admit that you have no other option but to cast all of your cares on him, and when there is truly no other name that you can call, then do as Jesus said to do, cast all of your cares on him, because he cares for you, and he's waiting for you in the middle of the storm. James pleads with us through all of the scariness of this world and all of the discomfort of our present circumstances, he pleads with us to know this. God's got you. 
Keep your eyes on eternity. And God will bring something good from this. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for today and we want you to know how much we love you and we trust you. And, uh, and Lord, even when I say that I trust you, I'm, I'm reminded that so often when I'm going through a storm, when I'm going through difficult circumstances, I can go to one extreme or the other. I can get really angry and I can just pour myself into, well, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to handle this. Or I can go to the other extreme where I just kind of mope around and feel sorry for myself. And neither of those options honor you. And so I ask you, Lord, believe me and accept this when I say I, I, I do believe, but I, I pray that you'll help my unbelief. I pray that you'll help me grow to be more like Jesus. I pray that you'll help me grow in my faith and in my trust in you. And with all of my friends here in this room, Lord, whatever our storms may be, help us to know that we are not alone, that you have placed us in a church family that has a supernatural love and care for each other, and that you yourself are in our midst, that you are with us through any difficult circumstance. Help us to trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.